Today we continue our study in the book of Revelation, chapters really 6, 17, 18, and 19 on Mystery Babylon. The title of our message today is The Final Destruction of Babylon. Now we're going to have one more study when it comes to Mystery Babylon and Babylon, and that's going to be in the front part of, cha of chapter 19, where heaven rejoices over the destruction of Mystery Babylon or of Babylon. And I want to remind you that Babylon goes all the way back to the time of Nimrod, wanting to get to the heavens himself, wanting to do it without God, wanting to set up he set up astrology and the zodiac to try to get direction without having to go to God. And that's what Babylon stands for. We have living for God, being directed by him, and we have living for ourselves and doing what we want to do. And that's what Babylon uh, stands for. Now, before we get into uh, this passage, let's just cover a few issues. First of all, there are not two Babylons. Some people believe that chapter 17 is a religious Babylon, chapter 18 is an economic Babylon, and then some people even throw in a political Babylon in there as well. But the truth is, Babylon, the great city, the mother of harlots that was riding the beast in chapter 17, is the great city and rides and controls the beast. The beast is a political system. The ten horns or the ten kings that reign with him during the, the revived empire, the last final empire, and they turn on the woman to destroy her, but she's riding the beast like she's controlling the political earth. It, the political aspect is the Antichrist. It's not Babylon, but she is economic and she is uh, religious. And I'll show you that. But, but first of all, let's look at Revelation 17, 18. This is the last verse in chapter 17. Now we're thinking about whether or not there's an economic Babylon, a religious Babylon, and, and how she relates to politics. So here's what it says. The woman whom you saw in that, uh, the woman whom you saw, this was the woman riding the beast. She had um, mother of harlots on her, um, mystery Babylon tattooed on her, on her face. And she had a cup full of abominations. She had made the kings of the earth drunk by her fornication. And fornication in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is a metaphor for, I mean, sometimes it means literal fornication. The context will tell you that. But when God says to Israel, you have committed fornication under every green tree, by the context, you know, he means that they're, they're serving idols in Israel all over the place. And so he makes that statement. In the New Testament, in the book of James, James says this to Christians, adulterers and adulteresses. So that's fornication. Adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with this world is enmity with God? When you are friends with the world, then you are breaking your relationship with God. And so the same thing is used. So, so they commit fornication with her. This is a religion. Also in the Bible, women are often represented as religious entities. The woman earlier in Revelation that was clothed in the sun that had the 12 stars was Israel. We saw Jezebel earlier in Babylon, which is different than the Jezebel uh, that was married to Ahab, but had some of the same principles. And uh, later on, we'll see the bride of Christ. It's, it's a, a woman who loves Jesus, who's religious and has a relationship with Christ. And so women are often used that way. So here we have a woman that's could have caused the, the, the kings of the earth to commit fornication with her. It is religious. But in chapter 18, we're going to see clearly that it is economic. Now, let me go, let me show you what the Bible tells us about the religious aspect of Babylon. And here I'm going to touch on something I've touched on the last two weeks. 
I just want to do that because someone may be watching this video that they haven't watched the last two videos on Babylon. So if you've heard this, I, and I know you have, then bear with me. Don't get your information about Babylon, any aspect of it, from the very, um, what's the word that I want to use here? I wrote out the word I wanted to use. That, uh, that has very poor conclusions in it. And that is the two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. It, for years, was the standard of what people used to talk about what Mystery Babylon was. And it identifies Mystery Babylon as the Catholic Church. That was the thinking when it was written back in the 1850s. And he makes a lot of connections with Catholicism and what he calls paganism. But his connections are poor. His footnotes, there's over 800 of them, and they are no good. There was a man who wrote a book by the name of Woodrow who wrote a book using Hislop's work but made it more readable. Hislop's book is not really readable, but he made it more readable, and it became a bestseller. But he was challenged when somebody who knew him heard Bible Answer Man, and I think it was Walter Martin, it might have been Hank Hanegraaff, but you know, they both had that role, tell him that that book was messed up. And so he took time to dive in to the footnotes to see if they were true and saw poor footnotes and bad connections. So they say things like in, in, in Ishtar, they worshiped in the spring when there's nothing that proves that Ishtar was ever worshiped in the spring. And that Ishtar is where we get Easter from. When it's not where we get Easter from, we get Easter from a Germanic name uh, that, that has Easter in it. And that's where we got Easter from when the Germans came to the United States and began to use the Germanic word that has it. And so Christians for years have been like, Christmas is full of paganism. It's not. That's not Saturnalia. And Christmas trees don't come from worshiping Tammuz. Tammuz had a totem pole that was decorated that they would worship. The closest thing is a totem pole, not a tree. So when you read in the Old Testament, they cut down trees and brought them into their house and decorated them. It's a totem pole. They were, they were making idols to worship. They weren't putting trees and lights on it to represent the stars and God moving by giving us his son, which is what Martin Luther came up with when he came up with it. So anyway, you can tell that I'm passionate about it. And I'm just going to say, stop using that book as a reference. I can't tell you how many people I've gone back to and listened to that as soon as it starts, they'll say, Nimrod was married to Semiramis and Semiramis had a son, Tammuz. Nimrod and Semiramis did not even live at the same time. So that would have been a miraculous thing to happen. But because they weren't, didn't live at the same time, they were never married. And that's how the book goes. So just don't use it. When you look up a study, and if any pastors are listening to me here, when you start to study Babylon, you're going to look for references and resources, which is what we all do. We want to know what we're talking about. We want to give good information. When you see the two Babylons, blow it off. Move by it quickly. It is not a good resource, and you're going to be continuing on with lies. And I said this a little while ago. Look, the Catholic Church has enough things in it that are problematic without us making up things about it, without us lying about them and slandering them. And I don't think that's right to do to anybody anyway. Bearing false witness is bearing false witness. And if we know a book is bad, then let's abandon that book. Way too much time on that. Um, so um, what, were, what was their religion? Isaiah 47, 12 and 13. Stand now with your enchantments. He's, he's going to tell Babylon, I'm destroying you. That's the context of this. And now God kind of mocks them some. And he says, stand with your enchantments. An enchantment is a spell. Get out your spells, Babylon. See how that works for you. Stand with your enchantments and the multitudes of your sorceries. 
So they were casting spells and they were involved in sorceries. And sorceries here would be using demonic things to try to get what you want. It's going to the devil instead of going to God in which you have labored from your youth. So we learned this was very early on in Babylon. It was from their youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit, he says. Perhaps you will prevail. You are wearied from the multitude of your counselors, the wise men of Babylon. Daniel was one of the wise men of Babylon. Wise men came from the region of Babylon with Jesus. But there were wise men that they put around them there. Let the astrologers and the stargazers these are people that try to tell the future by the moving of the stars and the monthly pronosticators. These are those that use the zodiac to try to tell the future, which is still done to this day. So do you want a real connection to Babylon that's done today? It's, it's uh, psychics and it's the zodiac to tell the future. It's you checking your, your sign or your, what are they called in the paper? What is it called? Yes, horoscopes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so it's, it's checking your horoscopes. Don't do that. That's connected directly to Babylon. And it says, stand up and, um, st uh, and your monthly pronosticators stand up and save you from what shall come. In essence, he's saying none of those things are going to save you. And none of those things help you. When you turn to the things of the world to try to figure out the future and what you should do and where you should go, instead of trusting in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways acknowledge him and God will direct your path. Instead of trusting God to give us direction, we go to the things of the world that have their foundation in Babylon. Now, let's also talk about her identity. Now, first of all, I've talked about the rejection of uh, the two Babylons by Alexander Hispel. We're not looking to him for her identity at all. Whoever this is, it is a city from the future because no city or system, for that matter, fits any of the criteria we're given for this. There is no city around today that fits the criteria of the city of Babylon. E even the verse that I already read you, the woman who sits on the beast is the great city who rules over men. What city today rules over men? And so people will say, well, I believe it's the Vatican. How do they rule over men? How do they rule over the men of the world? Because that's what the verse says. Well, I believe it's Rome. How does Rome rule over the world? I believe it's Jerusalem. Same question. I believe it's Mecca. Same question. I believe it's America. Same question. You think America rules over the world? America's given itself away to be ruled over by other people instead of ruling over the world. So the, the real, the bottom line is when, when we don't have to have a dog in every hunt, you don't have to say, well, this is what I believe. Well, I believe it's, you know, it's the Vatican. Well, I believe it's Jerusalem. Well, I believe it's New York City. You don't have to have a dog in it. You, you can go, I don't know. If, when you're talking to someone who is scholarly, they have a PhD, they've got an area of study that they're in. When you talk to them about the area of study, oftentimes they will let you know, this we know for sure and this we don't know. And because there's no insecurity, they are less dogmatic that someone who isn't as scholarly that gets into an area, and sometimes we pastors fit into that, mold, that role because we're pastoring. We're not just locked in a room doing scholarly work all the time. We're pastoring. But sometimes we fall into that role, we get a little insecure, and so then we got to go, well, it's, 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 it's Babylon rebuilt. And then you're stuck with that because you don't want to come back and say, I was wrong later on, which, by the way, you should. And you just shouldn't put yourself in a role 
of saying, I think this is Babylon when it's just what you think because you don't know. So it's okay to go. Here's, here's my thing. No one knows who it is. You want to know my dog in the hunt? Any, any of them could be right. Any of the different areas could be right. We do, we do know it is an economic system and a religious system that eventually rules over the world. It could be Rome and the Vatican after the Christians have been taken out of this world to forever be with the Lord because we are not going to go through the time of testing that's going to come upon the whole world. Revelation 3.10, Luke 21, 34 and 35. We're not going to go through it. So the, the, the church that's left, the Catholic church in the Vatican is going to be those that aren't true Christians. The true Christians in the Catholic church will have been taken out of the way. And so it could be. That's been my thinking for a long time. That Rome is the political aspect, the Vatican is the religious aspect, and they work together with the Antichrist who will eventually toss both of them aside. Because that's, that's, well, that's what the Antichrist does. The 10 world leaders work with him to devour and burn up Babylon so that they can worship the beast, which is not any existing worship, and so they can make their own economic system, which is buying and selling through the number of the beast. So they can use an economic and, and religious power to get to power, but at some point it stops serving their interests and now they need to destroy her to do what they're going to do. And so they will end up destroying her. It could be Unor uh, New York, it could be Unork, uh, New York, and the leftover religious system of the United States, the, the, what Christianity is without Christians in it. There's plenty of churches that Christ is no longer welcome at their church. Not, not by the things he says. He would be called names. And that could be. I don't see that. It would have to go a long way, but it could be. New York's powerful enough financially to, to be an economic ruler in the world. And the United States has enough influence that maybe a religion could become the mystery Babylon. It's not today, but none of them are. This one I think more of now than I used to. And that is that it could be that the Antichrist could be Islamic. And the Islamic or the Islamic Caliphate could be ruled by Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is, is Sunni, 85% Sunni. Most of the rest of the world is Shia. Shia is the more radical of the two, even though 9-11 came out of Saudi Arabia. The majority of people that came that were in 9-11 came out of Saudi Arabia. But there's a tremendous amount of wealth in Saudi Arabia. And, so, and, and, and there are Islam nations that now surround Jerusalem. All the nations around Jerusalem are Islamic, every single one of them. They are literally surrounded by them. And so could the Antichrist be Islamic? And then could Mecca, that is in Saudi Arabia, or Medin, or maybe the line, if you guys looked at the line at all, they're building a new city, they've already started building it in Saudi Arabia, that's gonna be miles long, and I forget how wide it's gonna be, but everybody's gonna live, there's gonna be no cars, it's the new way of living, everybody's gonna be within 15 minutes of whatever they need to do. And you can walk wherever you wanna go within 15 minutes. This city is gonna house 8 million, 12 million, I can't remember the number, some astronomical number of people that will be housed there. So could this be, could it be Islamic in Mecca? Maybe, maybe it's Jerusalem. Maybe that's the great city. Jerusalem has already been called the great city in Revelation 11 when the, when the two witnesses get killed 
and they lay them out in the street to display their bodies, which is, by the way, an Islamic practice. When in Islam, they kill their enemy, they display their bodies. And so their bodies are displayed in Jerusalem for three and a half days. And it says they're, they're displayed in that city, which is spiritual Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. So already Revelation in chapter 11 has called Jerusalem spiritual Sodom and, and, spirit, and spiritual Egypt. Why? Because the Jews are taken with wings of an eagle and brought out into the wilderness and protected by God because as a nation, they return to God during the tribulation period. And so what's left in Jerusalem? It's like what's left in the Vatican, non-believers. What's left in Jerusalem? Islamic. So it could be Jerusalem. It may be that great city. It could be. Also, Peter writing from Rome, says the church of Babylon, Greek, he uses Babylon as a term to reference Rome where he's at. That's interesting. Uh, this could be a rebuilt Babylon, but it has to be on a different site. So people talk about actual Babylon being rebuilt because Saddam Hussein wanted to actually rebuild it. And, and, and like, a, like a phoenix from the ashes, Babylon was going to arise. And Babylon of the Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar, 600 BC, the Babylon of Hammurabi, 1750 BC, were the most powerful cities in the world during their day. They were the economic centers of the world during their day. The problem is, is that the Bible says it's not gonna be rebuilt. This is Isaiah 13, 19. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldean pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled for generation to generation. Today, it is a protected reserve. Babylon has been, has been um, set up as, see if I can find this really quick. Uh, it, it's a protected reserve. I don't know the right way to say it because we have reserves here, but no one can build on the site today. Now, that doesn't mean it might not change, but I don't see Babylon being the rebuilding of Babylon, being the, the literal Babylon. All right, with all that said, we are now in verse one. <laughs> if we don't make it through this chapter, we won't worry about it, all right? Uh, verse one, it, it's a lot of the same. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So this is a pretty glorious angel. The earth's illuminated by the glory. And he cried mighty with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen. Remember at the end of chapter 17, the 10 kings with the Antichrist turn on the woman, devour her flesh and, and burn her body. Well, now we're getting the proclamation of her destruction and the response of people on the earth, how they feel about Babylon being destroyed. Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place for demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. The city is so destroyed, it's so completely wiped out that no one wants to live there but demons. That's not a good neighborhood. If the only thing that wants to live in that neighborhood is demons, it's been, it's been so destroyed that, it's, that that's all that wants to be there. Why every hated bird? Because it's a large city that had a lot of people in it when it was killed. And the birds have come to feed on the flesh of the people that are there. That's why the hated birds are there. He goes on to say in verse three, for all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
We talked about that in chapter 17. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. So they compromise, they worship, uh, they, they take on her worship. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. This is a coming financial boom, at least for the merchants. It doesn't say the earth becomes rich. It says the merchants become rich. But you got to think when the merchants become rich that that brings wealth to, to everybody. So there is in the tribulation period a time where the luxury of, of Babylon causes the merchants to get rich. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out from her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. So this is probably during the beginning of the tribulation period. If it's Jerusalem, then the Jews are being told to come out. They are now beginning to turn and follow the Lord. They will do that wholeheartedly when the abomination of desolation takes place in the middle of the tribulation period. And there are tribulation saints who were not taken out to be with the Lord before, who got saved afterwards, who are now living in the city. And God says, come out from among them and be separate. This is not to you and me to come out of Babylon. It's for them. However, we hear very similar things as Christians. I, I, I quoted earlier that we are not supposed to be worldly. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17 about not being connected to this world. He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Beal? Beal is a Hebrew word that Paul suddenly threw into a Greek text, which means worthless. The worthless one, it's, a state, it's Satan. What part does Christ have with worthless? That's what he called him in Hebrew. What, is, what part does he have? Everything about Satan is worthless. Everything about Christ is worthy. Or what part does a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I dwell in you and I walk among you. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch the unclean and I will receive you. This is to the church. Come out from among them. I talk some about us going to movies and the movie betrays us by covering information that we would never want to see. But somehow we thought the movies were on our side, but they're not. They're in the world. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying we got to realize that we are not of this world. We are of Christ. We are citizens of heaven. Let me read you one more. This is Ephesians 5, 9 and 10. For the fruit of the spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Find out the things that please God and don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. We, are, we as the church are supposed to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Now let's go on with our text. Verse five, this is Babylon. For her sins have reached the heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she is rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. So she's going to get the, the destruction of Babylon is a double judgment where God is, has doubled up on her judgment in, in mystery Babylon. He says, 
in the measure she has glorified herself to live luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. So we learn that she lived luxuriously. Now, ha having stuff, the Bible says that God has given men the ability to make wealth. Having stuff and having money is not a bad thing. But having stuff and having money and not caring about the poor is. And there is an excess. And I can't tell you what that excess is. I know it when I see it. When some preacher has $2,000 shoes on, that's an excess. When he won't fly commercial to go to speaking engagements. When he's got a, I don't know, 54,000 square foot home. That's an excess. Yeah, it's bigger than this building, by the way. You got a home that's that size, it's an excess. We look, we talk about billionaires and there's a lot of billionaires that do a lot of good. But think of the good they really could do with all their money. Think of how they could really reach out and make a difference to people who are hurting, to people who are suffering, people who are taken advantage of. Think about how much could be done. So with all of her money, what did she do? She made more for herself and she lived luxuriously. She said in her heart, I sit as a queen and I'm no widow. I, am, I will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come upon her in a day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. And they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, the great city Babylon. Now, this is why I don't believe Babylon can be anything else. Because it's a city, it's burning. They're looking at the city that's burning, the smoke's going up. Alas, alas, this is not the way the Bible uses metaphorical language. It would say something like, and I saw the great city as if it were on fire, and the, that's how we would talk about it. But when it's talking about a real literal place, it says, and they stood and they saw and they looked and they mourned over the smoke that was rising up of this great city, Babylon. The mighty, the mighty city, in one hour her judgment has come. All the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls and linen and purple and silk and scarlet every kind of custom wood, every kind of, of object, object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, and cinnamon, it's incense and fragrance oil and frankincense, wine and oil, flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and the bodies of, and souls of men. Now, all of those things are literal. Gold and silver, and silks and uh, cattle and horses, they're all literal. When it says that Babylon, the great city, sold the bodies and souls of men, it's exactly what it meant, slavery. And, and there, slavery is around today. At the end of the movie, The Sound of Freedom, they made a statement, there's more people enslaved in the world today than there ever has been. I don't know if that's true, but I'll tell you there are many people enslaved. There are a lot of people enslaved today in the Congo because they're rich in cobalt. And we need cobalt to run EVs. And so they have people enslaved to bring this stuff out of the ground. 
huge number of people enslaved in the Congo. And our world passes a law that by 3030, we're going to have all EVs, which isn't going to happen because it's only seven years from now. There's no way that transition's happening. You know, you got sixty, seventy thousand dollars around you to buy an EV, just hanging out. You guys got to go buy an EV. Some of you guys are hanging on to your cars for 12 years before you buy a new one. Longer sometimes. Uh, Elon Musk bought up a lot of non-slave cobalt, which is sad that that's a term. Now he buys that up, so he looks justified, but he leaves none for the rest of the world. They have to go to the slave cobalt to get their batteries because it's mandated that there should be no gas cars by a certain date. And it creates slaves in the world. Out of the Congo is where blood diamonds came from as well, by the way. So I don't know how much of the slave trade in the world is, is sex trafficking, but it's a percentage. And since there's so many slaves, it's a way too large of a percentage. And how, many, how much of that is children? But the Sound of Freedom spoke about, which people don't want to talk about it. Don't want to even talk about the problem. I'll tell you what, I didn't want to go see the movie. I did, but I didn't want to. But because so many people were talking, I wanted to see, does this have something in it that is bad? Which from my perspective, it didn't. Nothing that I could see. Now, I don't claim to be an expert on the issue, but nothing that I could see. So the souls of men and women are being sold in Mystery Babylon. It, it goes all the way to the end. Slavery has gone from the beginning of when, when men began to enslave people until the very end. It, it happened, has happened. So then verse 14, the fruit of that, the fruit that your soul longed for is gone from you. So their soul longed for all of these things and now they're gone. And all these things which you are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of the torment and the weeping and saying, alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls for in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmate, all who traveled by ships, sailors and as many as trade on the seas. And again, trade is more on the seas now than ever before. Stood at a distance and cried out, when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? And threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, alas, alas, the great city, which all whom had ships of the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made. Now, if I'm right, and this great city of Babylon, the economic and the religious center is destroyed by the Antichrist so he can set up his own religious and economic system, you can't buy and sell without the mark of the beast and you've got to worship the beast or you'll be killed. If I'm right about that, they're trading what has been an economic boom, boom for what is going to be devastating for so many people who will not buy and sell because they won't take the mark of the beast. Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven. That's what we get next. O you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged on her then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea. Now, this isn't him, this isn't him destroying the city. The city's been destroyed already 
by the kings, the 10 kings that are on the, the beast, the, the revived empire, last world empire, has already destroyed her. This is an analogy. Then the mighty angel took up a millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence, the great city of Babylon has been thrown down and shall not be found anymore. So when that giant stone went into the sea, the water swallowed it up and it was gone. And he was saying, thus is Babylon. You will not find her anymore. The sound of the harpist, the, the musician, the flutist, and the trumpeteers shall not be heard in her anymore. That means it was a center of entertainment. Hollywood, that's who Mystery Babylon is. I'm kidding. Don't write me emails. Hollywood is Babylon in some ways. <laughs> it's probably more true. I'm not saying literally as in here. I'm just saying it's probably pretty true that uh, the Hollywood is Babylon. I should just stop talking now. Um, the sound of uh, the, uh, the harpist, the, the musicians. So there'll be no more entertainment and no craftsman of any craft shall be found anymore. The sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of the lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. It was place people went to get married for your Las Vegas. Your, um, I'm kidding, merchants were the great men of the earth and by your sorcery. So remember what, what Babylon did in their youth? Sorcery. By your sorcery, all the nations were deceived and her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints. So she persecuted the prophets and the saints. Now, again, today, this fits Islam. If Islam is persecuting Christians and Babylon persecutes Christians, it fits Islam. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying, I'm just looking at it going, what fits? Because rather than us picking something and trying to make it fit, why don't we find out what really fits and what it is? And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all those who were slain on the earth. Now, I want to end this by giving you the 15 characteristics that a list of the characteristics of the city of Babylon and the and the mystery Babylon, the woman who rides the beast, what these characteristics are. You ready for them? It's a great city. The nations are ruled by her. The kings of the earth commit fornication with her. The merchants of the earth become rich by her. The blood of the saints is shed by her who sets on many waters. This is people's multitudes, nations and tongues is connected with the wilderness. I I'll take you out in the wilderness. I'll show you this woman who rides the beast, it said. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. So she sets upon a scarlet beast, which represents all the world ruling empires of the past. The ships of the sea become rich by her wealth. God's people are called out of her. She glorifies herself and lives luxurious will be destroyed in one hour. No one will buy her merchandise anymore. The nations are deceived by her and are involved in her sorceries. She sits on seven mountains, which I don't know if that's the same thing that the waters are or whether they represent two different things, but she sits on seven mountains. These are the things that we see. So I wanna end with one verse. I had four verses planned, I'm cutting it back. End with one verse. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you, he, he, he made alive. Let me start again. And you, he made alive, whom were dead in trespasses and sins, in which once you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit 
who now works in the sons of disobedience. Let me read you one more because this is the one I thought that was. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify to the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness and the work of uncleanliness with greediness. We have got to see a difference between the world and us as believers. We've got to come out from among them and be separate. We've got to live separate lives. We've got to know who we are. Yes, we do not want to be legalistic, but we also don't want to be licentious. We don't, in our, in our fight against legalism, want to allow something that's sinful to be in our lives. We want to walk in faithfulness to Christ. And if we walk in faithfulness to Christ, we'll be nuanced enough to not be legalistic, but we'll also be nuanced enough that we won't be licentious. We won't be doing things that we shouldn't be doing, that God, doesn't, God, God is brokenhearted that we're doing. Let's follow him, serve him, love him, be focused on him, not be like Babylon, who is trying to live their lives without God. And some Christians do that. But live our lives for God, like the true Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven at the end. And, and we're going to live there forever. All right, stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the time that we're able to spend covering this chapter. We thank you for the work that you're doing in each one of our lives as we look at this. And we pray, Lord, that we, would, we see the difference between Babylon, a worldly system, and Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, which is a city that is made by God, that we will live in forever, and that we are just passing through here. We don't have any sustenance without you. We rely upon you. We need you. We know the world is trying to live without you, and that's Babylon, but we want to live with you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.